This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about a topic we get asked about a lot. And that's what do you do when you do not want to be a manager, but you still want to have success and growth in your career? And this honestly can be really tough to navigate because it's not the quote unquote normal path, but it is one that's possible. And we're hoping that this episode will do a good job of helping you through that journey. Yeah. And as a side note, if more people honestly took this path, we would have a lot less bad managers out there and a lot more happy employees that have been not forced into management. Uh, Good point. All right. And with that, we will get into how to manage not wanting to become a manager. Number one, state your intention and stick with it. So like we said in the beginning, this is not the quote unquote normal path. And so usually people reach a certain point in their career and they're just kind of pushed into management because that's the next step in the organization and that's the traditional way that people go. However, to Anne's point in the intro, not everyone is cut out to be a manager. And in our opinion, that is totally okay. And admitting this to yourself is the first step and honestly the most important one. Because if you don't put that stake in the ground, you will likely get swept up into that normal path and become a manager not wanting to and then end up in the space that you had tried to opt out of. You might have to also restate this more than one time to the people in your organization because it will probably take a little while to take hold for a few reasons. One, there's just the natural way. So you get to that level of experience, the number of years, number of roles in the organization, that sort of thing. And it's just time. And two, because a lot of people can't see beyond the idea of that's just the natural path. And so depending on what organization you're in, this can, of course, be true or not true to certain degrees. But overall, we would say it's going to be something that you're going to have to restate and really stick to and that likely someone along the way will try to talk you out of. But we would say do not waver. It's easier for the person on the other end to manage against what everyone else does instead of assist you in carving out your own path. And so you need to calmly and confidently lay out why this isn't your intended path. And even better if you've tried managing people before and it just didn't work out for you to be able to give that example and state, this is why, this is how I've landed here. And if you have an example, even better. And I feel really strongly about this one, that it is not everyone's path coming from the creative side of things, because Mm -hmm. some of the most amazing creative folks are not meant to be managers. I mean, it's just not in the DNA of who they are. They are creators by nature. And so I have seen a lot of their spirits kind of die when it comes to their passion for the work when they're no longer on the board physically creating. And I was one of the big proponents throughout the organizations I was in of, can't we figure out another way? Because we're doing wrong by these people and the organization, where if we just created a path that they could become more senior within the doing, Mm -hmm. then they would be happy, we would get better work, and they wouldn't be having a team of people beneath them that they really weren't equipped to or wanting to manage, which then causes larger problems. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good point, and I think it's a really hard thing to go do. Agree. Um, because you know, first you have to admit that maybe what you want isn't what everybody else wants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people ask us, right, April, like, how do I know that I actually really want to be a manager, right? <laughs> Fair, um, yes. And, you know, what we always say is you have to care more about the people that work for you than mm-hmm. you do yourself if you want to be a really good manager. Yep. And that, like, kind of stops people in their tracks for a little bit because they're like, huh, all right. And then that has to be an honest assessment. Do I really care about the people mm-hmm. that I work around more than I want to care about, you know, myself? And and if the answer is no, that's totally fine. But you have to be honest with yourself that you can continue to go down the path and pretend like you're going to be a manager or that you want to be a good manager. But if you're really not willing to go there, then mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to really achieve the full level of being a really good manager. And then you just make everybody's lives, including your own, miserable in the process. So... I think it's really hard for people to kind of state that to themselves. And then it's even harder to state it to a organization that maybe doesn't have that there. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's somebody has to say something if that is the way you feel. And the only person that can really say that is you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have to kind of and we're going to talk a lot about this uh, in this episode. You're going to have to kind of like feel it out and you're going to have to kind of go through a little bit of the uncertainty uh, around that if it's something that you want and it's some way uh, and it's the course that you want to take your career down. Yeah, and I think in addition to caring more about the people, you also have to find personal fulfillment right. in that and as well. Right, and caring for the people, yep. Yeah, so I think that's the other piece is that if you naturally do care about the people, there's a level of fulfillment in seeing them succeed and that's kind of the other side of that caring coin, right? right. It's like, you care about them and then you get something out of the process of managing. That's another thing that's hard, I think, to admit to yourself. But it's okay to be selfish in that way, right? If you love the work and you get so much fulfillment out of doing the work and you can't really imagine stepping away from that, that's totally fine. And that is the reason why then you have to figure out what are you going to do instead and lead the way for that. Yeah. Number two, be ready to be the trailblazer for your career. And I think I just set this up, but Anne, I will let you take this one. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, we did kind of just set this up and we or kind of set the expectation up. I mean, and honestly, I mean, you should be the trailblazer for your career no matter what. Anyway, right. But in this case, it is more of a trailblazing, like give me the machete. I need to kind of cut down the path kind mm-hmm. of um, process. Yeah, new new path entirely. Yeah, exactly. And it's not always met with like the utmost of welcome. Um, mm-hmm. You know, honestly, um, those those weeds can be kind of hard to turn the machete down. And so you really need to be thinking about, first of all, how you're going to go through this process and how you want to carve that path for yourself and kind of see if there are, you know, people around you that are, you know, kind of feeling the same way because sometimes there can be strength in numbers. Mm -hmm. But you have to be very clear that this is going to be something that you are prepared to do. And I'll give an example um, of one of my experiences of a a personal friend at P&G and then just in general, some of the infrastructure that can be set up just so you can understand how this could look. But so... First of all, if you're going to be a trailblazer in your career and you're also going to take this path of kind of uh, least taken, 
you really need to set up a subject matter expertise. This yep. is going to be the value that you're going to provide to the business in a way that it's going to make them kind of think like, okay, maybe this could work. Mm-hmm. If you're not going down the regular path, then you have to provide value in some other way. You can't just be like a, hey, you know, I just kind of like, you know, want to do my own thing kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> here's the value I'm going to add. This is the subject matter expertise that I'm going to take, and this is what I'm going to cultivate within the business. And this is what my friend Holly did um, when she was actually in HR, and she saw an opportunity uh, to do more um, design thinking. Mm. And that was a, a kind of a new concept within p and I mean, we all did design thinking to some extent, but like kind of doing it as a way to facilitate brainstormings mm-hmm. and collaboration sessions and um, really bringing that like um, that perspective into the business was new. And so it's not common that that would originate necessarily out of HR. It probably no. would have originated out of more of our creative or design functions, but it was something she felt passionate about. It was definitely something that she decided to kind of carve out. Now, the problem was um, it was highly well-received to the point that she was doing that more than her quote-unquote you know, typical <laughs> HR job. And HR finally said, nope, you need to do your HR job mm. because it's this is what we hired you for. And that's where we, the decision-making comes in. It's like, well, okay, what choice I'm going to make here because I'm trying to carve my own path. I'm a subject matter expert. I'm being appreciated for that. It's not something the company is willing to support right now. Mm-hmm. Do I stay within that or do I go and, um, you know, go back to HR? And she decided ultimately to leave the company to go pursue a, a, her own business in, in this design thinking and she's doing phenomenally well with that, right? So these are things that you have to recognize within yourself and then you have to really uh, cultivate as you're, you're you're doing your journey. And there are you know businesses like P&G where they do have like a T-track and an M-track, mm-hmm. right? So you are able to take that subject matter expertise into a track that rewards you for that. Now, that track does max out mm-hmm. um, and it generally maxes out way before you're ready to retire. So you have to be prepared for that. And also, there's no path from there to CEO or C-suite. Mm-hmm. So you have to also remember that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great example. And and I think um, if you're trying to create something brand new, but you have that much passion around it, personal passion, I think sometimes that's where people get in a really tricky spot and a lot more people opt to do the safe thing yeah. than to go and do the thing that they're truly passionate about. And so I think that that's a really good example from the perspective of Holly that she was like, you know what? I just can't see myself going back. Right. And I've heard you say the same yep. thing, right? You reach a point where you're like, I just I don't see a, a reality for me in that space. Um, I think an example from my end, and I already talked about, you know, more on the creative side, but we had a guy at one of the agencies I was at who um, was really digitally centered. He was a very creative guy and he had been a designer before, but he just found his love far more in the technology space of the world. And that was really changing, right? It was becoming... It was new, newer, right? There were a lot of things evolving, and he had no trouble going headlong into learning any new thing that had come out that we had any desire as an organization to explore or a client asked. I mean, he was just amazing at that. And then being able to come back and not only execute, but explain in layman's terms how it worked and how it fit into the bigger picture. And I mean, that was just his superpower, just was. But unfortunately... 
that was, again, misinterpreted by the organization as, well, he needs to have a team. We need to build this practice, you know, and it was like, well, he knows more about it here than anybody. Let's have him do it. And he was like, I, I don't want that. I don't want to I, I want to do the discovery. I don't I don't get fulfillment out of having other people work for me. He had done that before. He was older at that time. And I'm, you know, he, not old, but, you know, <laughs> older to where he probably should have been a manager for several years at that point. And he just kept saying, I don't want to. I don't want to. And so at one point they kind of forced him into a couple different teams and then he had direct reports as a result of that. And they tried to finagle it like, well, your boss can actually man it, do the managing, but like you still have to use these people, right? And he just kept saying no. And so finally he found his way to me and he was like, I know this is a little bit unorthodox, but I'm wondering since you're creating the strategy team, could we create a digital strategy role for me? And I'm totally happy to teach as part of that. Right. But I do not want the responsibility of managing any of the people on the strategy team. And I was like, at first I was like, ooh, like we've bounced you around a couple times here. Um, I'm more than happy to go to bat for you. I think it makes total sense for you to be on the team. I don't know if we can honestly get you out of the management piece. And so we put together a plan, like we're saying here, and we showed on paper the value he was bringing and how much of that he would have to give up if we forced him to manage other people, but that he was willing to be the guide, whereas I would be the actual manager when it came to the doing of the work. And so we got that through. And I mean, the progress that he made and just the happiness level for him ratcheted up so far that he actually became a really good teacher of some of the employees that wanted to learn more of the digital side of strategy, the stuff that I, quite frankly, didn't have the skill in and that we were being asked for by the clients to where he was able to cultivate kind of a sub-team within our team yeah. once that he was released from that responsibility. Yeah, I think that's a really great example because people need to live in the place where they're going to add value. Yep. I mean, I've already said that once and I'm going to say it again because so often we want to take people out of where they provide value mm-hmm. and put them into a structure that we have set up because it seems easier, yeah. right? Yep. Um, because that's the structure. That's the process. Yep. That's how you move up. But, I mean, if you just stop and ask yourself, why am I doing that? Why am yep. I sub-optimizing a quality, quality employee yep. to try to make them be something that they're not? I'm like, don't I still need what they have to offer? Mm-hmm. And if so, it's like, why? Why, why do they have to fit it? the mold? It yeah. never, I mean, it always left me scratching my head. It's st- Yeah, I totally agree. All right. Number three of how to manage not wanting to become a manager. Enlist support from your greatest cheerleaders. So I think my example, actually, man, I am doing good today. It goes quite nicely (laughs) into this one. Um, But I mean, like we said, you're going to be met with resistance. You're going to have people out there that may not want to invest the time or just feel like it should be done a certain way, all of that. But if you can enlist folks around you that you trust, that are really big supporters and can see the value that you're bringing to the organization and just ask them to step in on your behalf and help be another voice in the conversation, that can be extraordinarily beneficial. Mm -hmm. Also, Anne mentioned before, but I'll say it again, if there are other people that feel the same way within the organization, I think if you can go collectively together and state, you know, this is really what we would rather be doing, that can also be the power in numbers thing. 
You have to, of course, recognize that just because you have cheerleaders doesn't mean it's going to be totally easy and quick and all of that to get this done. And you'll have to put the work in. And like Ann said, you'll have to carve out another way, like being a subject matter expert. But if you can get people to rally with you and people in the organization that are respected and have a voice, regardless of their level, those types of things, those are the sort of people that you want to look to and sort of call in the favors, if you will, so that the situation can be moved along. Uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of times in organizations, because there are already structures set, people just sort of feel like, well, we can't disrupt that because it's right. a big, major thing to go and do. And so I think if you can build that team of people. And then also don't be afraid to give them roles in the conversations. Even if you're the one leading the charge for your own personal gain and benefit, you can give them kind of asks, you know, like for me with the guy that I referenced before, it was like, you know, April, you're building something in the organization that I actually think makes the most sense for me from any team here to be a part of. I'd really love to report to you because I think you see the benefit of what I'm doing. And so therefore, I'm asking you to help me not be bounced around anymore Mm -hmm. and find my home in the organization. And like I said, with the example, you know, it took me a minute. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is a good career move to jump. You know, I think it was it would have been like the third or fourth boss that he had in the organization. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know the threshold, you know, whatever. But ultimately, we gave it a shot and it and it worked out. And then I the, the other part did happen where more people started to come out of the woodwork and say, I really want to learn more about this. It's not really in my job title, but I see it as a way of the future. And that's where we were able to give some of people's time from different teams to be able to participate and learn the work. Yeah. And I think what uh, the point that you made is is right on to in that um, not only should you declare it for yourself and then the way that you feel and where you think you're going to be most productive, but it's also in helping people see that the value that you will offer will be something that the business is going to appreciate. Oh, for too, sure. Yeah. Right. And so it's not about going and and, and and this is the big difference here. So I'm about going to, you know, these people and just whining about how you're not happy and <laughs> how like everybody's just not letting you do what you want and this and like the, that and the other. It's all about constructing a rationale and a very solid rationale for why this will be good for you, why mm-hmm. this will be good for the organization, why this will be good for the business. And using that as a way to influence your cheerleaders to become advocates for you in mm-hmm. the process. If you try to pull the poor me thing, nobody has patience or time for that. So that's not the way to approach it. This is where the trailblazing part comes in, too, is that you have to really think about how this looks. How is it going to be constructed? How is it going to work? You know, if, if people ask you questions about it and all you could say is like, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like the chances of you getting a yes, even from your cheerleaders, is very, very low. You have to make it an easy yes for them. That means you have to go through and think through all the questions that they might ask, all the, the conflicts that might come up, all the challenges that they could bring up. That doesn't mean you have the answer to every single th- you know question that could possibly be asked, but you know the big ones and the big ones are going to be, well, how is this going to fit into the structure? Yep. Um, how, are you, how do you expect to be rewarded? Um, how do you think you're going to move up? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to compromise being, you know, moving up into, into company and staying where you're at as a result? You know, so you need to think about through what some of the implications are and not just feel like, uh, you know, you, you, this is your way to get unstuck, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Well, and I also think 
you know, the thing that he did right in that situation was he was very open and honest that this was going to be an inconvenience for me in the short term. Like, you know, he was he knew I already had plenty of direct reports. I was responsible for part of the account team. I was trying to build the strategy team. I was always on the new business stuff. And so. When he came to me, he was like, I know I'm asking for something that probably is piling more on your plate right now, but I promise that I'll do everything I can to do the heavy lifting right, and take right. the onus of it and and pay you back kind of, you know, over time. And so I just I feel like I appreciated that so much because he didn't come whining and crying where right. really, I mean, in some ways he kind of had a right to because we just kept trying to like shove him <laughs> into, into the wrong role. And I was peg like, into a round hole. Yeah. And I was like, why do we keep doing this to this guy? Like he's one of the most valuable people we have in the company right now. And yeah. we're like killing him, you know, trying to do this. So in any case, I think yeah. your point is right. It's It's all about how you approach it and then what you're willing to invest into it. Yeah. All right. Number four, I'm giving to Anne because she loves this. Test and learn and test and learn. Yeah, um, I do love testing and learning because I think it's the the way that you really embrace the journey. Yep. Um, and it's the only way that you can embrace a journey without feeling defeated potentially yeah. at every step of the way. Or you have to get it perfect at every step. Or you have to get it perfect for every step of the way. You're, you're totally right on. And you got to realize that you are going to be exploring new things. You're, this might be new within your organization, or, or even if it's not new within the organization and it's a new path for you, you're still going to come up with and come against things that are you're like a little bit unexpected mm-hmm. and kind of feel a little bit uncomfortable. So don't get your head set that there's just like one path or one solution. You need to be open to the fact that there could be multiple ways of you getting what you want if you're willing to be open to what people provide you. And it may not be exactly what you want at the moment, but it could be a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So try it. I mean, just put it on. Like, I, I love the analogy of like, well, just, you know, just put on your co- put on the code. If you don't like the code, you can always take the code off mm-hmm. and, and try a different code. And then you can recalibrate. And And this is, you know, something that you really need to think about if you are ready for, because mm-hmm. it, it feels a little bit unstable. It feels a little bit um, ambiguous. And again, whether they have a path or not, because mm-hmm. you're making a, a, a very big career choice here. I'll take an example of somebody um, that I know that I'm close with. And, you know, he took a uh, a pivot within his career. He was a very senior manager um, at a very big company and decided you know, after some things going on going on with the company, he kind of re-entered back in and be rented back in in a service role, mm. not in a like a, a high level management role. Mm-hmm. Much better for his life. Like he loved it from a work life balance standpoint, and you know, loved the fact that he was going in and he was training, and he was helping, but he was having a huge ego hit because he could not deal with the fact that it was. Um, he wasn't part of those meetings anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't being able to influence at the upper levels. Um, he, he just couldn't feel like he could like, you know, he, he wasn't getting the same level of recognition um, that he was before. So you know, that was a really hard thing for him to adjust to, to say, shoot, I, I like this over here, but like this is feeling really uncomfortable over here because I'm used to being able to engage. I'm used to having my opinion matter in that level and it's just not anymore. And so you're going to have to realize that there's going to be compromises that are have to be made as a result, um, regardless if you're, you know, what path you decide to take, mm-hmm. right? And so my advice here is to not overreact. Um, let it sit for a while because sometimes it feels really 
weird to begin with, mm-hmm. and you're kind of like you have that like natural like knee jerk reaction to like, oh, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good. I want to get out of this. I want that. But because I want you want to go to gravitate to something that feels a little bit more comfortable. But if you just kind of let it sit, you might find like, huh, this ain't so bad. Mm-hmm. And I use the example even like with you and I, April, where. You know, my whole entire time at my P&G career, even like leaving my P&G career, like all I saw myself, I was like a CEO. I was like, I want to be the leader. I want to make all the decisions. I has to kind of, I want to control the whole thing. And now I'm like, I just want to sit and do the content and coach <laughs> and speak. And I really don't want like to make any of the decisions. I'm like, my favorite days are when I'm like, I have a couple coaching calls. I'm planning for a keynote and I get to make my content. Where my uh, April's like, has a whole like day of meetings plan. I'm like, huh, I'm happy as can be. But normally I'd be like, you know, what is she talking about? Am I missing out? Should I be part of those meetings? And now I'm like, hmm, I'm good. If I'm not going to add any value, then I don't feel I need to be part of it. So you just turn it all over to me. So I turn it all you You love it. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, I, I think that that is true. And I, you know, I hadn't really thought about us as an example until yeah. you just said that. But I do think that we had a struggle in the beginning of, figuring out those roles and being okay with them. Because on my side, I would just charge ahead. And sometimes you'd be like, uh, hey, uh, me here. Yeah. I actually do know how to do that. Or I do think we should do it that way or whatever. And it was never ill-intentioned. And it's honestly probably the thing that scared me the most about having a partner was as much as I was lonely, I, I wasn't sure that I could share that. Yeah. And not have my hands in all of it. Yeah. And so I think we have reached a nice place where we both compromised a lot to just admit and say, this is where I'm really happy and I like doing this work and, you know, this is why. And I do think, yeah, I do think it took us a little bit to like figure out our footing, if you will. Yeah. 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 All right. So just to recap, how to manage not wanting to become a manager. State your intention and stick with it. People will push back. Don't let them push you into changing your mind. Be ready to be the trailblazer for your career. You are responsible for your success just like in any role. Enlist support from your greatest cheerleaders. Find your supporters to combat the naysayers and help give them a role in the conversation against what you're trying to achieve. And test and learn and test and learn. Doing something new never works out perfectly right out of the gate. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. And with that, we'll head into our next segment, which is in the trenches, where, as you know, we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broader applications so that any of you listening can digest and put them into action based on your situation. Number one, what if my organization does not embrace this alternate career path? And we have talked about this throughout the episode so far. So I'm not going to restate what we said. I'll just say that if you've taken the steps outlined here and there is no flexibility in the system at that point, then that's where you're going to have to decide whether to stay Mm -hmm. and then for how long. But what I will say against this one is it does not mean that you have to leave immediately. 
there still might be a lot that you can do, a lot that you can learn in your current role. And so it shouldn't be a knee-jerk reaction in that way. One, because you could burn bridges just departing Mm -hmm. like that, like I'm going to take all my toys and go somewhere else, you know, leave the sandbox. But also because it's a little bit short-sighted to make that type of decision and change when just because you're striving for something more long-term doesn't mean you can't live where you are right now for right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, what it likely means is that once your your hand is forced and you either have to become a manager or choose to stay where you are, that's when you need to make that decision and probably go another way or try another company. But other than that, I mean, it's okay if the organization doesn't embrace your long-term goals. Making a quick decision and then jumping into something else doesn't necessarily set you up for success in finding a company that might be willing to embrace it. So mm-hmm. we would say, you know, Take a deep breath. If you've done this and you've done all you can do, regroup. Take some time to think about how the process went, what you might do differently the next time, and what you think an organization looks like that might be open to something like this. And then go start researching that as more of your long-term plan instead of just saying, all right, I'm done and I'm heading out. I mean, this is the advice that we give no matter what as people are navigating their careers because it's really hard to project even a couple years out a lot of times where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing. And it's especially true if you're trying to make a pivot like we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to spend some time really thinking through what is my next most immediate move that I need to do in order to think about getting to that point instead of trying to go all the way to your end game because it didn't work out at this company. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I would just build on um, the the point that you're making by saying if if you've decided that this is a place that you're going to be in for now, that isn't necessarily a place you're going to be in long term, then do everything that you can in order to learn everything you possibly yep. can from the position that you're in. Yep. And that might not be with specifically within the work that you're doing. It may be in getting uh, exposure to other areas of the business. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to, you know, while you're there, you want to like be friends with the finance guy and learn about finance because maybe in your next role, you might want to go out and do your own thing. So you want to know, learn how to do a P&L sheet. Um, It may be getting your networking really um, well extended um, so that you want to have people introduce you to people. So you get some exposure to different people in the company and different Mm -hmm. levels in the company. Um, maybe you want to take on just like a really random project, you know, yep. that you just want to get some some different learning on or you want to take on something that's even like more culturally based. So you understand that side. So what I would say is like get your head out of just your work. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean you don't do a good job. You still need to do a good job, but you need to uh, protect some energy and protect some time to really devote to your learning mm-hmm. um, while you're in that place, as well as. To have time, like you said, to explore other opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if you're giving this company a thousand percent and you're giving your the work that you're doing a thousand percent, you're not creating time and space and energy in order to do those other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say those other things can be personal things for yourself that you selfishly just want to do. So for me, I'll, I'll give an example. One of the organizations I was at, I was actually learning a ton and really fast. But the office environment was really volatile. And I'm not really big on large office environments Mm -hmm. anyway. 
And so I found when it was like weeks on end that I was in the office, I just really was unhappy. But as I started to learn a lot more and people started to take notice of me, I was one of the only ones that actually really wanted to travel Mm. on the team. And so I worked really hard to learn as fast as I possibly could and put myself in front of people in the organization so that, like you said, Anne, they started to get to know me more broadly. And one of those people was the new business guy. Yep. And so I would schedule lunches with him regularly and talk to him about the work I was doing and the passion I had for pitching and why I just felt like it was really important to be able to articulate what the strategy work meant with relation to the creative and why I was perfectly positioned to do that because I had a design degree, all these things. And then he started just coming to me first and I just never said no. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like, and I just went and got the permission and I was like, look, I really want to be on the new business track. I think I can really learn what we do and how we sell will help me better do the work and all those types of things and built my case. And then I was gone at least once a week and it wasn't so hard then on the days that I had to be in the physical office space. That's really smart. Yep. All right. Number two in the trenches. How do I ensure if my company does embrace this path that I'm treated the same as those that manage other people. Anne. Yeah, and we've kind of talked about this already, which is that, you know, you it's likely you probably will not be. Right. And, you know, and and how structured it is really depends on how developed this path really is within yep. your organization and within your company. Like I explained on at P&G, there is a specific T-track and an M-track, right? So T being technical track and M being a management track. I don't know if I explained that earlier. I almost said it and then so yeah. glad you did it here. <laughs> yeah. So sorry if you guys have to rewind back to that part. But um, <laughs> No, I think it was clear. Okay, enough. good. Just, ch- just double checking. I still speak P&G sometimes. But in that, within itself, it's structure. So it's very clear, like, what your success looks like on that T-track. Mm-hmm. Because it's been built out. Because it's been built, what your success looks like on your the M-track. If you don't have that, then you're going to have to ask for a high level of transparency from people it's, you know, that are in charge of those sorts of things, like salary and benefits and rewards and bonuses, to see how you're going to be calibrated mm-hmm. within the group in order to understand what your compensation, what your progress, what your moving up looks like. And you need to be prepared for the fact that they're like, we don't know, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to be the first. It's going to have to be something that we're going to have to also test and learn on. Or it's going to be a journey we're going to be on together. This is where you could benefit a ton by providing them something or a recommendation on that you have come up with. That helps them to at least have something to react to, to help put something in place, especially Mm -hmm. if it's a new process or it's a new procedure or it's a new way of looking at things. But it could look very, very different than your peers. And I can't stress that enough because, you know, as you're you're, you're starting to, you know, trying to calibrate, you know, when somebody who came in at the same time you did and they're moving ahead of you and, Mm -hmm. and you're not, you have to remember that you made an intentional choice to be in this position because it gives you fulfillment differently than moving up the ladder would if you were on that track. And and don't feel like, hey, if I just went over the management track, I'd be in such a better place because chances are, if you did not want to be a manager, you would not be moving up the management track either. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like, hey, I missed out on something or made, made a big mistake. But you got to realize that it's going to be a process. You got to realize that it may look very different than your your, your peers And you might have to help them build this Mm -hmm. as you're going through it. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, that point about you likely won't <laughs> be treated the same. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a pill to swallow. And you really have to think about that. And I think, Ian, with your previous example where he loved the role but had a hard time from an ego standpoint not being in those meetings anymore, right? I mean, I think that's some of the stuff that you really do have to think through because if you are progressing through the normal track, then you have seats at tables that are just different. And I'll say from the example I was talking about before with the guy that worked for me, we had to have some of these conversations as well. And honestly, from his perspective and from my perspective then as his manager, people wanted him in all the meetings because he was a thought leader and because Mm -hmm. he would go do all the digging and all that kind of stuff. And so for him, we had to say he's not going to all those meetings anymore because his role is now this. But then on the other side, you will not penalize him for not going to those meetings anymore. And that was probably a harder battle than any of the other things that we went through as part of that process. And so what we did is we secured a director role for him and we set him up for that. And then the give on the other side was, you know, to be a VP in this organization, you have to actually pretty much start your own team or, you know, be at the head of one of the teams. And since your team's a sub team, that's probably never going to be part of your role here. And for him, it was like, I don't care. I actually yeah. don't want that. Right. But those were the types of things that we had to really think through and negotiate on so that he could be successful, but then also that the organization understood that he wasn't just going to be the jack of all trades anymore, that they had been treating him like we were giving him a very we're putting forth a very concerted effort to put him in a role where he could succeed, but also we would get the greatest benefit. But as part of that, other people would have to let go. Yes. So that is a, I mean, that's a really good point. And it's kind of funny too, that if you kind of recalibrate and rethink about what it looks like to be quote unquote successful um, and fulfilled in in the role, this is, I tell my T friends all this all the time when I was uh, back in P&G, where sometimes they get a little disgruntled if they didn't feel like, you know, they were being heard or, you know, if they felt like, you know, maybe they were um, not as part of the uh, the the decision-making process as they felt like they should have been like, but listen, guys, I'm like, you guys get to sit over there. And, and it does fit a little bit of a stereotype being kind of a technical person or a researcher or whatever. You're like, you're kind of like the crazy scientist. Mm-hmm. You can say whatever you want to say. You can do whatever you want to do. You can tell everybody they're stupid and everybody's going to thank you for it. Yep. (laughs) I'm like, you have the best job in the world. Why can't you embrace that? As a manager, I have to be nice. I have to collaborate. Even though I think people are stupid, I can't tell them that. You're allowed to tell people that they're stupid. I'm like, there's nothing better than that. I'm like, so, of course, I get some, you know, to laugh and chuckle. And then, you know, obviously it gets a little bit of the mojo back. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, so you have to also embrace the fact that sometimes you get to act differently and behave differently because you get to be in that. Now, you shouldn't, like, take advantage of that and be mean and condescending and be, you know, a jerk. But, like, you do get a little bit more latitude. Yeah. No, I think that's true. Number three in the trenches. Is it okay to reach a point in your career where you don't want to move up anymore, no matter what level you're at? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will say a resounding of course here. I think that part of the reason for this episode is to help facilitate being okay with making that decision but realizing that you're not just stagnating in your career as a result of that. And part of that is, you know, the management piece. But just in general, I mean, 
this could be a decision for totally different reasons than that. And I'll give an example um, from one of our coaching clients. So we have this woman that we coach and she was having a really hard time when she thought about what the next role was going to be. And she was actually fine with being a manager, she had managed an entire sales staff and she actually really liked that. And it kind of, it was freeing because she could go into um, the hospital environments where she worked and build more of the relationship and, you know, see the staff that she'd worked with for so many years and where she had built strength in those relationships and really support her team just by showing face, but then also helping to bring those people along and all of that. And, And she got a lot of fulfillment out of that. But then I think once she conquered that role, so to speak, she looked at the one beyond that, which was more of a like high level hands off, like we've been talking mm-hmm. about, not really going to be able to spend as much time, quite frankly, with the clients or her team. She was going to be a little bit removed from all of that. And she was like, you know, I just I look at that director level and I think I don't want that. And it was a struggle. It was a lot of conversations around, OK, but obviously you're an achiever and you're a learner and what is that going to look like? And, you know, you're getting bored faster and faster in the roles that you're in. And so she took a total pivot and actually took a slight demotion to move from sales into marketing. And now she's on a very different path, but actually has been able to see her skills leveraged across a lot of the startup components of the business in ways that wouldn't have happened if she just stayed in kind of her you know, pillar or vertical where she was and kept working up that way. Now the success is happening faster and keeping her engaged because she's doing a job and then jumping to the next one and doing a job. And they're Mm -hmm. all brand new experiences and they're all a lot of problem solving. And where she is now, now she's going to have another team of people. And that's also really fun for her. And so I think that it was very freeing in that she was like, you know, For me, it's not about the salary. Like, we make a good salary here, and I don't feel like I'm sacrificing anything. You know, it's not managing or not managing. And so really doing that soul searching to figure out what it was. And, I mean, honestly, I think that some of the roles have been great, and some of them have been not what she expected. But there's always something new, and that's what really keeps her engaged. Yeah, I think that's a a, a fabulous example, and I hope everybody's really listening to that because – it is a lesson in redefining success. Yes. Um, yep. And, you know, we, we're we so conditioned to think that you have to move up. You have to get the salary increases in order for that to be successful. Mm-hmm. Right. And that could be the most like <laughs> unsuccessful feeling that you could possibly have, especially if you don't feel like you're moving up as fast as you should be. Yep. Or yeah. in this day and age when like, you know, raises and stuff like that are, you know, especially in the COVID days, are just not, not as happening. Yeah, not yep. not happening or bonuses aren't happening as much. Small. Yeah, you know, so that could feel really like, hey, I don't, you know, my dad even do a good job. It could feel uh, like a, like a personal attack on your 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 credibility, your reputation, um, how smart you are, you know, mm-hmm. all those things that, you know, kind of attack our personal brand when we don't get that reinforcement that we expect as a result of doing a good job. So, I love that she rethought about what success looked like. And for her, success was like, I want something new. Mm-hmm. If I can get something new and learn something new, that's what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. And yes, you have to kind of be like, okay, I am okay with like, you know, staying at the level and just kind of getting marginal you know, raises. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy 
in, in what I'm doing. And that's really the important thing. So don't get stuck in the mindset that it's like, I have to move up. I have to continue to, yep. you know, get the higher salary bonuses and, and, and all those sorts of things in order for me, me to feel successful in my career and with myself. Find a new way to, to redefine success. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the other thing that she has done, which I think is really uh, important to note, is she's made herself more and more marketable whether she decides to stay there or right. not. Because by not following the normal path, she actually has made herself far more well-rounded than a lot of her, quote-unquote, peers. Right. So whatever she decides to do, she's basically adding tools to her toolkit over and over and over again, where whatever she decides to pursue long-term, she'll be equipped. Yeah. All right. Our fourth and final in the trenches question. What advice do you have for someone trying this out? Anne. Yes. So I think we've covered this Mm -hmm. a lot, but let me just kind of bullet point it out so everybody can take this, uh, this point away very clearly. So first of all, it's be clear on what you want so you can define it for others, especially if you're trailblazing. So we've talked about that a lot, is that this is not just going up and saying, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, what is going to make you happy? And make sure you're clear to find that for yourself so you can ask for it. And then you want to clearly articulate how well this is going to benefit the the organization yep. and the business, right? So this is not just about you. You work in a company. They're going to know how you're going to make it better for them if they're going to invest in you and in, in being able to do this, all right? Next is be patient. It's going to take time. We've talked about this. It's a journey. You're going to have to test and learn. But you're also going to have to be very firm in the fact that this is a decision that you've made and this is a decision you're going to stick with. Now, people are going to try to tell you otherwise. They're going to try to shame you out of it. They're going to try to tell you you're making the biggest mistake of your life. I've been told that millions of times. But you have to really consider your own career and your own happiness because you are responsible for that. Now, if these people have really good perspective and really good thoughts, like I had somebody you know, tell me when I wanted to go my career path, like, this, this could end up really poorly. I'm like, you could, the, the whole thing could go away tomorrow. I'm like, got it. And mm-hmm. it did. But, you know, um, I was I was aware of that and I realized that. And so when it did go away, I was just like, huh, well, that kind of sucks. But I was prepared for that, all right? Um, and then also the, the, realize that you're going to have to put yourself into this. This is not something that the company is just going to do for you. Like yeah. we said, sometimes you have to draft it out for them. You have to propose the procedures. You have to propose what you think is fair compensation based on this. You might have to put that effort into it to give them that picture, to give them something to react to. And no, it's not going to be easy, but like we said, like success is not just about moving up in, in, in the next higher paycheck. It's about being fulfilled every day that you come to work because you spend a lot of time at work, you know? So it's about being fulfilled. So if you can think about that and, and, and really invest in that, then everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to. I just firmly believe that. Yep. I think that's a great summary to our In the Trenches questions. All right. And our third and final segment was historically a real-world example of a brand who's doing things well or not so well. But as you've noticed, we're finding this isn't working as well. And so we have moved to expand this section into what we're calling Marketing Smarts Moments. So these are things that have happened in the world around us that we as marketing folks have taken notice of and think are either really great or not so great in their execution. And they may or may not be tied to the episode topic at all. And this one is not. Um, But with that, I will get into mine. So... 
this is a very well-known secret among friends, but now I'm telling the podcast community. <laughs> my favorite movie of all time is Home Alone. I know. It's ridiculous, but it there it is. That it, 100% it is truly, a good movie. it is just one of those ones that for nostalgic reasons and so many others, I just adore it. So, another Home Alone came out. Now, I will say there have been several. Love the first one, like the second. Beyond that, I kind of lost interest, right? But this season, they have a new one that's called Home Sweet Home Alone. And so, as part of the promotion, on Airbnb, there is an actual Airbnb page. A promotion went out where for $25, four lucky people could spend the night in the Home Alone mansion, the original one where Kevin McAllister lived with his brothers and sisters. And it was going to be hosted by his older brother, Buzz. And the reason for that is because Buzz actually does a cameo in the new Home Alone movie. Hmm. So fast forward all these years, right? Buzz is no longer the nasty teenage brother, but he is a grown up in his, oh God, I can't even count the years, probably 30s. He's close to my age, almost 40. Um, and he is the police officer that reports to the house when the phone call is made. So it's like a mm -hmm. cute little connection point. And so therefore, with the promotion, he is hosting these folks in his childhood home. And it was an online competition where you would put in your bid to be the lucky winners. First of all, I couldn't have missed this promotion because I think at least a dozen people that know me reached out to tell me that it was going on. <laughs> so even if I hadn't seen it on my own, I would have seen it. But I think that it was just like such a smart, interesting move, right? Because over the years, first of all, we have talked about everything from, oh, my God, can you imagine a kid being home alone in that house and all the antics to like, I wonder if that house is really like it is. And it's gone on the market a few times. And I've also gotten, you know, pings about that. You know, do you want to buy the home alone house? And so I think they took an opportunity, a really um well thought out one, honestly, where Airbnb is popular no matter what age you are. You know, we've talked about their positioning to really put people into homes from all walks of life, mm -hmm. all of those types of things. The Home Alone movie, I will say, is a good one because it's just a nostalgic favorite, right? So it, it passes through the generations. It's like, you know, I love seeing Buzz as the police officer. I didn't necessarily care for the new movie, right? But now my kids watch the old one and now they're like, oh, Buzz is the police officer in the new one. And then they quickly say, how did he get so old so fast? But in any case, <laughs> I just thought it was so smart. And they, and they played on the movie too. And so all the moments that happened. So for example... There was a perfectly trimmed Christmas tree for the season. There were booby traps that the guests could set themselves and kind of play out. There was set up um, the aftershave, you know, scream in the mirror <laughs> opportunity. There was Chicago pizza and then also a candlelit dinner of microwavable craft macaroni and cheese <laughs> and a meet and greet with the live tarantula with the tie back to Buzz because that was his, you know, pet from the original um, Home Alone movie. And then the film would the new film would be aired or shown during your stay. So you'd have the opportunity to watch it there with complete with a Lego ideas home alone set. So you could build a mini version of the house for yourself either while you're there or after you go home to remember and commemorate the experience. So anyway, super fan here of home alone. But even outside of that, I just thought that 
we talk a lot about things that are might have good intent, but then they're poorly executed or, you know, how people stop at a certain point and could have thought through so much yep. more. Right. I mean, if you go to Airbnb right now, at least as of last night, the, the thing is the house is still on there. Like it's a true Airbnb opportunity, although it says this home is now closed for rental or whatever. So anyway, I just thought that one was fantastic. Very timely and appropriate with the season and the launch of the new movie and just really well done. Yeah, I think that's a fun example. And I I like what they did because I believe, as you do, that it builds what we like to call like the emotional integrity yeah. of the Beyond just the, like, the core thing that's being offered, which is the movie, right? Yeah. It's, it's it's trying to engage in multiple different levels to get interest from multiple different people mm-hmm. that may or may not have actually initially been interested in the movie. Yeah. But, but because they see something like this, they're like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. I might be interested in kind of watching the movie just to kind of see now what is going on to yeah. how all these things kind of connect, even if they saw the first one or the second one or not. So that is like a really good lesson to learn about your own brand and your own business is like, okay, you offer a specific product or you offer a specific service. What is that emotional integrity or those other like offshoots or other things that you can develop around it that allows people to engage in your brand or your business in ways that might not be the exact like offering they might be looking for, but are wayfinders to that offering that allow then more people access to you. So it's a very smart way of of, of building that through alternate vehicles and, and really smart partnerships. Yeah. And I, I mean, the final thing I'll say is I think it probably reinvigorated the entire franchise for people. Absolutely. Right? So, you know, like I said, I fell off after a period of time, but this perked my ears and I went and, you know, watched and did all the things you just said. So yeah. smart. Yep. All right. So just to recap, how to manage not wanting to become a manager. State your intention and stick with it. People will push back. Do not let them push you into changing your mind. Be ready to be the trailblazer for your career. You're responsible for your success no matter the role, but especially in this case. Enlist support from your greatest cheerleaders. Find those people that will help you combat the naysayers and give them a role in the conversation. And finally, test and learn and test and learn. Doing something new never works out perfectly right out of the gate. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts. <laughs>